the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. If you've always thought of the parables of Jesus as something like Grandma's freshly baked cookies, um, you could not be more wrong. They were often enigmatic, misunderstood like they are today, wrongly interpreted. But they were not genteel stories meant to sort of turn people's insides into warm oatmeal. They were pointed, sometimes accusatory. They were frank. And, um, and, and though that they were sometimes, um, like I said, enigmatic or, or, or mysterious, they sort of were like time bombs. In fact, Eugene Peterson says this is what they are. They are time bombs. They are thrown down, parabole in Greek, to para, alongside, and bole, to throw. They're thrown down alongside a life. Peterson says like a time bomb. And Jesus goes away and they explode. And they are, leave people with this thought like, what were you trying to say? You know, exactly what were you saying? And if you've been with us for the last three weeks, there are three parables in, in 20, chapter 21 and 22 of Matthew's gospel that are just like that. They were directed towards a specific group of people, people called the Pharisees in, in the gospels. And we hear about the Pharisees often if you've been around the church at all. And, oh, these people, you know, of, uh, of bad intent, these malicious uh, wrongdoers. But that's not the way they were at all. They were very traditional religious people. They were the most conspicuously religious people. They were devoted and they were, um, you know, circumspect in their lives. Outwardly, they wore all the garb that would point to religiosity. They, they had strict rules that they kept. They were very, very devoted. And, and they even had respect among the Romans. Um, the, the Pharisees despised the Romans. Romans were occupiers in, in Israel, and they saw them as, as you know, the worst form, you know, these Gentile occupiers of our land. And yet even the Romans respected them because of their religious devotion. Which is why it's so surprising sometimes to find such negativity coming from Jesus towards these Pharisees. He, he's so um, confrontational with them and they with him. And so these three parables, just to sort of recap in case you forgot them. The first one Jesus tells is about two sons. He goes to the one son and says, I have a chore for you to do. And the son says, no way, I'm not going to do it. But as soon as his father leaves, he feels bad about it and he goes and he does it. And to the second son, the father says the same thing. I have a chore for you to do. And the son says, oh, I'd be delighted to, daddy. And as soon as the dad walks away, not going to do it at all. I had no intention of ever doing it. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are the second son. Okay. I mean, that is pointed. That would, that would just make you frustrated. And then he tells another parable. A parable about some tenant farmers. Some tenant farmers who decided to steal uh, the crop decided to steal the land. And so they killed all the farmer's servants and even his son. Je- Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are the thieves who tried to steal the land. And then a third parable about a royal wedding. Father Chris preached about this one last week. A, a king wanted to give a wedding banquet. And he goes that sends out and invites everybody to, to his, his daughter's wedding. And, and, and many of the guests didn't want to come. Too busy. So he invited other people. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you were the invited guest who didn't want to come. Let me tell you, this would not make them happy. 
<laughs> none, of these, none of these little sermons would have gotten Jesus Preacher of the Year Award. Nobody has given him a gold watch for his service to the kingdom. You know, they were, they were inflammatory. They made people angry. And one thing the Pharisees decided, that Jesus must go. They were angry and ready to get rid of him. What's more, Jesus begins to say to them that they are actually no better for all their religiosity than your garden variety thieves and prostitutes. In fact, he says the thieves and prostitutes are up ahead of you. They're doing better than you are. Can you imagine how angry they must have been? People who had dedicated their lives to religious devotion to be told this. They were infuriated. It would have infuriated me. It would have infuriated you. We would have been angry about this. What do you mean? You're calling me a sinner? Do you not see all that I do? All that I give up? All the, the ways in which I live for God? I, I wrote down some things about Pharisees. Their outward signs of piety. Their garments included 18 separate garments. Each one meant to show religious devotion. They would wear a leather strap down their right arm with a box attached to, uh, to, to their hand. So the leather strap goes around them, a little box on their right hand. And inside that little box were little verses of scripture wrapped up on little pieces of paper put down in there. They wore one on their forehead. <laughs> you know, when, when, when in Deuteronomy, the Lord says to, to bind my word on your hand or on your head, they took it literal. They wore a box on the front of their head. And there's still people who do this today. With little scripture verses on tiny little pieces of paper. Um, they would wear these prayer shawls. And then they would make the, the, the borders really broad. You know, to, to show how much they prayed. They would pray out loud in the marketplaces. In the square. And people would hear them with these really long prayers. A Pharisee would never speak to a woman in public. Not even his wife or his mother. Lest he be thought of as a womanizer. They were strict observers of the Sabbath, would do absolutely no work, not even things that might be construed as work. They're called people of the book, people by, by the Romans, by other people, because they were such um, diligent studiers of Scripture. Think about this. These are very religious people. And they, they, to say that they wore the religion on their shirt sleeves would neither be metaphoric or hyperbolic. They actually did. They actually wore the religion on their shirt sleeves. Outward to everybody to see. I want you to kind of compare that or just think in your mind what that might look like if you jump forward 21 centuries. What would a person look like who was this conspicuously religious? Someone who wore a cross? Well, lots of people wear crosses these days, right? Maybe it's a big cross, you know, a <laughs> big cross. You're wearing a really big one. Um, somebody who, uh, who maybe um, was carrying around a Bible. A family who was out at a restaurant and bowed their head to pray before they ate. What would, what would somebody who's conspicuously religious look like in our world? Imagine Jesus saying, it's all for show. It's just all for show. How angry people would get. And this is what happens in the text, right? They've had it. They set a trap. They, the Pharisees decide we're going to set a trap. And so um, uh, Matthew says they sent some of their disciples. 
What does that mean? Think seminarians, <laughs> you know, young men who are who are studying. They're a little bit green, but we're going to send them and we're going to we're going to give them this little trick. Here's what you do. Is it lawful to pay taxes? This is a trick because of two things. On one, remember, Romans are occupiers. And Jews hate Romans. And the idea of paying taxes to Rome seemed to be like you're, you're, you're validating their presence over against uh, uh, the people of God. But if you don't pay the tax, then you're an insurrectionist. And you're, you're kind of causing problems. So you're either going to be regarded by the people as a fraud a religious fraud, or you're going to be regarded as Romans as a traitor. And and either way, it's a bad scene. So the disciples of the Pharisees go and get some people called Herodians, politicians. They go get the local politicians, and they tell them, we're going to go do this. And they they set this little trap up, and uh, all ready to do game, set, match. Jesus is in trouble. They ask him, is it lawful? To pay taxes to Caesar. And what does he say? Give me the coin. (laughs) Give me the coin. Whose image is on this? And you know the image, right? The image is Caesar. And what does it say? What's the graphe? What's the inscription on that? Well, it's praise to Caesar. Praise to Caesar. Well, here's the answer. It belongs to Caesar. Give it back to him. And give to God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. And give to God the things that belong to God. Oh. Oh. Jesus says, whose image, icon, whose image is on this coin? There are echoes from Genesis chapter 1. Let us make human beings in our image. If you look at the the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, in our own icon, the exact same word. Let us make human beings in our image according to our likeness. And what's the inscription on on the coin say? Well, praise to Caesar. Caesar is like a god, whatever. What's the inscription on human beings? Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. The government wants its money. (laughs) Jesus says, give it to them. But give to God the things that belong to God. Because God wants something too. What bears his image? Well, we do. I just told you that. (laughs) Human beings, we are the ones that bear the image of God. And so it's a little bit more pointed than this, right, isn't it? I mean, there's a duty, that there's an obligation that we have to render back to God the things that are God. The Pharisees took religious devotion seriously. Their interpretation of the Bible dictated the way they dress, their clothing, their social calendar, their marital relationships, everything about their lives. And Jesus says they were failures. They did everything that was asked and they were failures. 
They had not given to God what he wanted. I wonder what we think about Western Christianity 21 centuries later compared to the Pharisees. I read a little article called The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy. Here's what in the article it said. Less than 50% of Americans could name all four Gospels. Less than half could name the four Gospels. Lou, I think you're needed in the... Lou, Bertrand, I think you're needed in the, in the nursery. Um, 60% of the Americans, it said, could not name five of the Ten Commandments. Uh, 82% of Americans believed the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. Among evangelical Christians, 81% believed it to be true. It says a majority of Americans, so over 50%, believe that the Bible teaches the most important task in life is taking care of one's family. Not true. 12% of Americans believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Fantastic. I was asked last night who Noah's wife. <laughs> Wish I'd have brought that one up. Um, 50% of graduating high school seniors believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable majority of people believe the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Listen, I'm not saying we need to brush up on our Bible trivia. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that but even compared to the Pharisees, our, our, our devotion is paltry. The faith of Jesus is, is, is not what uh, uh, even the Pharisees have. You know, it, we even lack that sense of devotion. What's required? What does God want from us? He, he wants us to deliver what He wants. He wants us to pay back that which He offered. That our life in, ought to be about seeking those who are outside the faith, not just patting ourselves on the back for how great our religious devotion looks in the world. If we're only concerned about ourselves, if we're only concerned about the way we look in the world, then we're hypocrites. We're just playing a part. The actual hypocrite doesn't mean somebody who says one thing and does another. It's somebody who's pretending to be something that they're not. It's a word for actor in, in ancient Greek. You're acting. This is not the, the, um, the faith of the apostles. So what does, what does authentic devotion, what does paying back to God the things that are God look like? Well, it looks like Patrick, who went into Ireland with a little band of missionaries and lived among the Irish. And living among them brought many of them to faith. Took an entire island that was barbarian and hostile. and, And by living among the people and living out the faith, transformed them. Um, it's like, um, Saint Aidan and Saint Columba, Saint Augustine who go into England. It's a really fascinating story you should read sometime of what happened between like the 4th and 8th centuries in, in the British Isles. Where you have Patrick starting in the southern part of, um, of Ireland and working his way north. St. Columba, St. Aidan coming from uh, across from the northern part of Ireland into Scotland and then down into England. While St. Augustine comes from the bottom, from the south of England, from Canterbury and begins to move north. And, and just the way that the British Isles 
were, were evangelized by these men and women who would dare to just go and live among people who were hostile to the faith and show them what life and, and godliness looks like. Hudson Taylor, who took the, the gospel to the Chinese, Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. But give to God the things that belong to God. It means he wants something. Pay what's due. And what's due is not that we look religious, but that we're actively involved in mission in the world. I saw this film years ago called The Great Raid. I know, I shouldn't like war movies, but I really do. And, and I don't want to, but I try, I try, but it, it was a really a great film. The Great Raid. And it's, it's set in World War II. Um, the, it was set in the Philippines. And it's right at the end of the war. And the, 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 the writing is on the wall. The Allies are going to finish this off. And the Japanese know it. And, and so with their POW camps, they start killing all the POWs as they flee back to, uh, to Japan. And so there are a group of army rangers who know this. They know where some POWs are in the Philippines, and they want to go and, and do a, a rescue mission. And so these, these rangers get all prepared, and they, they, know, that they know where they're going to go. They've, they've planned the, you know, the location. They, they have the target in, in mind. And they know that they, they can't engage the enemy along the way. Their job is to go undetected through the jungles of the Philippines to get to this, um, to this uh, POW camp. And they begin to think, well, what do we need? If we're not going to engage the enemy, we don't need very much ammunition. So they took, they get rid of almost all their ammunition. And then they got rid of all the things that they would carry for their, their well-being supplies. You know, um, just a little bit of water, all you need. Not even no food. We're going to get there. If we don't get there, we're going to die trying. They even left their helmets behind. This is based on a true story. And, the, and this group of, of rangers goes through the woods, through the jungle, with, with very little supplies, very little ammunition, no real protective gear. Because they had one mission, and that was to liberate POWs. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but give to God the things that belong to God. We have one mission. It's not to look pious. It's to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in this world. We do that, God will be pleased. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.